Romans chapter 15. The text that we're going to concentrate on is verses 1 to 7. But let's read together verses 1 to 13. And I'll, I'll read and you can follow along. So Romans chapter 15, 1 to 13. <clears throat> we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, have, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you that you loved us first that you have welcomed us into your heavenly family. That you did not spare your own son, but you gave him for us. That your love, Lord, is unchangeable. That your welcome in Christ, because of Christ and because of his gospel, because of the mercy and grace that you have extended to us in Christ, Lord, your love will never fail. Lord, we who have received your love are called to share that love, to express the gospel love of Christ that we have received and then extend it to others, to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. Oh God, so easily we become very focused inwards. So easily we become very uh, comfortable with what we with, with the people you've given to us and we, we have little room in our heart for others. Oh God, I pray that you may help us to remember how Christ welcomed us, that you may help us, Lord, to call to mind this word that you're about to give to us, that we may be your ambassadors to show the love of Christ. Lord, I ask that you may help me, help me by your Holy Spirit to faithfully proclaim the word of God and to apply it to ourselves and to this congregation. Ultimately, Lord, that you may be glorified as we build a loving community that testifies to the love of Christ. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, today's sermon continues the theme that we started last week. I'm very happy that John, in his vacation, allowed me to preach two times in a row. I feel like I have a little bit of momentum. I can carry that momentum into the, from last week into this week. So last week, we started talking about this theme about love in the family of God. And last week's passage, Romans chapter 12, emphasized love one another. Let love be genuine. Outdo one another in showing honor. Show genuine affection, brotherly affection to one another. And we saw how that was worked out practically in the early church and in, in Paul's instructions to the Romans through hospitality. And that was the point of last week's sermon. Practice hospitality. Hospitality is the expression of gospel love to brothers and to sisters in Christ and to those who need Christ. It reflects the grace that we have received as sinners when we open up our homes to people and we share with them what we have, what's most precious to us, our time, our money, our food, our privacy, our, our very lives. And we do that because God opened up his home to us and welcomed us into his family through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so our hospitality reflects the grace that we have received and it communicates tangibly the love that God has given to us and that we give to others. And so let's continue on that same idea of love in the family of God. And today we're going to move into Romans chapter 15. And this topic, this chapter, especially deals with how Christians ought to offer love and welcome to others in the family of God, despite things that would normally cause disunity, distance, and discord. And in this passage, there's a very specific issue in mind. And we know that by considering the broader context of Romans, the prior chapters, and the whole book as a whole. If we consider the whole book of Romans, Paul, if you, if you step back, Paul is addressing a church in Rome, very cosmopolitan city, a church that's filled with Gentiles from all over the world and, as well, Jews. And they, this group of people, Gentiles and Jews, were brought together into one church, but they had brought with them centuries of strict religious, ideological, and cultural barriers. All kinds of barriers separated these two groups. And the animosity that had been historically endemic between these two groups had passed down for generations and centuries and even millennia. For the Jews, everything was different. Everything about them was unique. Their dress, their diet, their laws, their religious practices, even who they were allowed to marry, all of that was divinely instituted to make them separate from the world around them. Their grooming was different. Their hygiene were was different. These Jews were to be holy and separated unto God. You know, in the meanwhile, the Gentiles, Romans chapter 1 tells us, they had abandoned the knowledge of God. They had worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who was forever praised. Amen. And so they have these two totally independent, totally in, uh, separated paths of people, the Jews and the Gentiles. But now, mercilessly, I mean, mercifully, mercifully, God had saved the Jews and the Gentiles together and put them into one body in the church. But that didn't erase all the history. 
that didn't erase all of the differences that had existed, and, and those differences began to cause major problems in the church. And so that's ultimately the point or the purpose that Paul is writing the book of Romans for. The whole book is, right, is written to address this question of unity between Jews and Gentiles in the church of Christ. There was this lack of unity, and so in order to address, Paul emphasizes that there is only one way of salvation. Jews and Gentiles are alike in their rejection of God. The Gentiles rejected God as the creator. The Jews rejected God's law. Even though they had the law of God, they didn't obey it. And so they're both alike. None have sought God, the Bible says in, in, in Romans chapter 3. All are alike under his wrath. But then Paul explains that there's also all alike, Jews and Gentiles alike, justified through faith in Christ by God's grace. That there is one Savior, there is one righteousness, there is one gospel for Jews and for Gentiles. And so this oneness produces the unity in the church that glorifies God. And that's the point of Romans. That there is one way of salvation, justification through faith in Christ. And so there can be oneness in the church between Jew and Gentile, between any of us. And the oneness will glorify God. But there was a very uh, specific problem in this specific issue in Romans that Paul is now addressing in chapter 14 and chapter 15. And that dealt with what should the Christians do with the neutral differences between the, the Jews and the Gentiles, between the two believers. Not, not gospel issues, not what, what do we understand about God or Christ or salvation, but specifically here, what do we do with meat sacrificed to idols? What should we do? At the time, animals routinely were sacrificed in pagan temples. And then the meat would be sold, taken out, sold on the market, and then... A Christian might buy it, and for some Christians, that bothered them. Maybe some of these Christians had come out of that pagan lifestyle. They were sensitive to this. It bothered them that they might be eating meat that had been offered to an idol. And, and so, because it bothered them, some of them abstained from eating meat at all. They just wouldn't touch it. Others were more mature. They were stronger in their faith. And they knew, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 in the call to worship, that an idol is nothing. It has no real existence. And that there is only one God who is the one God who created everything and who gives us all his blessings to be received with thanksgiving. And so that stronger believer received it as a gift from God and ate it to honor God and gave thanks to God. But this caused issue because he freely ate the meat and by doing so offended the younger or the more immature, the less strong Christian. And this was the problem. This difference between the stronger brother who ate the meat and the weaker brother who didn't eat the meat became an occasion to condemn and to pass judgment and to destroy the loving community. It was a difference that resulted in disharmony, discord, and disunity. And we can see that in Romans chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, if you just look back a little. One person believes he may eat anything, while the, work, the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats 
despise the one who abstains, and let, let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. The weaker brother was offended. His conscience was violated by the other person eating. How, how dare he eat? That food was offered to an idol. Doesn't he know that? And the stronger brother said, I'm free to eat. I have liberty in Christ. You can't impugn on what I want to do. I have the right to please myself. And so they, they despised one another and they condemned one another and they put a stumbling block in each other's way and they were not acting in love, both living to please themselves rather than God. And this is the issue that's in the context as we bring, as Paul brings us into Romans chapter 15. So Paul in Romans chapter 14 gave them clear instructions and then in Romans chapter 15 kind of repeats the instruction, gives the summary, gives the, 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 the key point of what these Christians ought to do. And the summary is in verse seven. He says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Instead of demanding that the other, piece, the other person needs to become like me before I will welcome him or her. Paul is saying, welcome each other in love, just as Christ has welcomed you and thereby glorify God. This is what Paul is telling us. This is what Paul is giving us to this church. And so let's look at what Paul says to us, what God is saying to us. First, let's consider what we're called to do in verses one and two then how we can do it in verses three and four, and then finally why in verses five to seven. Firstly, the what, the what of welcoming one another, verses one and two. So let's look at verse one, Romans 15, verse one. Actually, verse one and two. It says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Here, we who are strong refers to the Christians who possessed a better understanding of God, God as one God, and idols as being nothing, no real existence. And so they were strong in their faith. They knew that they had this liberty in Christ, that they can receive gifts from God with thanksgiving. They could eat the meat, and he gave, and this stronger brother would give thanks to God. But these strong ones were abusing their freedom in Christ when it came to the weaker brothers and sisters. So Paul reiterates that they don't have an obligation to themselves, to please themselves, to do what they like, but they do have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, to welcome the one who is weak without quarreling over opinions, as he said in chapter 14, verse one, to live unto the Lord, chapter 14, seven and eight, to not put a stumbling block in the other person's way, but to pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding, chapter 14, verse 19. So to summarize, they are to welcome their brother or their sister in Christ, to bear with them and to, to limit their own freedoms in order to show love and to build up the other person. And notice that Paul says it's not, it's not optional. It doesn't say you who are strong 
um, we suggest that you bear with the failings of the week or, or you have the option of bear, be, bearing with the failings of the week. If you feel like it today, if it's a good day for you, you can bear with their failings. That's not what he's saying. He's saying it's an obligation, which, to, which means that we have to do it, but also implies that it's not natural to do it. It's not natural. We're commanded to bear with the failings of the weak, but, but naturally we want to stand up for the rights of myself. We want to stand up for what pleases myself. Not to bear with differences, not to bear with the differences in spiritual maturity or, or to bear with differences in background or differences in the understanding of the scripture. So even though the strong in faith were in a sense correct, you know, they were correct, but they missed the point. Their obligation wasn't to, you know, to be smug and how right they were, but their obligation was to bear with the weak, not to please themselves. Instead of demanding their own freedoms and pleasing themselves, Paul says in verse two, each of us must please his neighbor for his good, to build him up, deny his pleasure to please and to strengthen his weaker brother. So in a manner of speaking, if you, if you imagine the weak and the strong, the weak are burdened by their conscience and their lack of understanding. They're burdened by the actions of the strong and the strongs are supposed to get underneath the burdens of the weak in order to help them carry those burdens, in order to help build them up, not to please themselves, not to offend the weaker brother, but to strengthen them, to build them up in Christ, to do what is for their good. Now think about how countercultural this position is. What would we do, you know, if we come to a big group of people and we notice a whole bunch of them don't alike a whole bunch of the rest? How much easier it would be for Paul to say, oh, you guys can't get along? Well, Jews just cross the street and establish the first Jewish church of Rome. Gentiles cross the street, other side, establish the first Gentile church of Rome. These ones meet in the morning, these ones in the afternoon. You don't have to see each other, no problem. But that's, that, that's the world's way of dealing with the kind of issue. That's not God's way. God has saved the Jews and the Gentiles alike and he brought them together into one body so that he may manifest his power and grace by joining the ones who are separate into one new man in Christ in the church. This dividing wall of hostility between God and man has been torn down and so all dividing walls of hostility and difference and animosity between man and man can be torn down as well. So Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And as one in Christ Jesus, they belong to one another. And so Paul tells them, Bear with the failings of the weak. Bear with their weaknesses. Welcome them. And he doesn't have in mind just like, you know, that they're courteous to one another, that they tolerate one another, that they remain, you know, on friendly terms and, and when they see each other in the, in the assembly, you know, they shake hands and say hello. He's urging them to genuinely accept the weaker brother as a fellow member of Christ's body. The word that's, that we have translated welcome in verse seven, proslambano, it, it means 
literally to take by the hand, to lead aside and to bring into friendship. In the NASB, it's translated accept. In King James, receive. The sense of the word is not just a superficial acknowledgement, like I'll acknowledge you, but it is a deep personal kindness granting access to my heart in love. That's the kind of welcome that Paul has in mind. That the strong and the weak, they don't just get along, but, but they accept one another, warts and all. And despite of the differences in understanding or differences in conscience, they accept one another and they take one another into their hearts as their brother and sister in Christ and aim to build up the, the other for their good. This is very similar to the instruction that Paul gives to the Philippian church in chapter 2 of Philippians chapter 2. He, he, he deals with a very similar situation. There's disunity within the church. Differences are springing up. Factions are forming. People are, are joining sides. And, and Paul says in chapter Philippians 2 verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He wants them to agree with one another, to accept one another, not to divide, but to show love to each other, accept, receive, and welcome each other. So he, he continues in verses three and four. Do nothing out of selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then Paul gives the, the glorious example of Christ, who was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped onto, but emptied himself and became nothing in order to save sinners. And this is the same point that Paul is making here in this passage in Romans 15. Bear with the weak, accept them, welcome them to yourself, do it in love, seek to please them, not you. Build them up for their good. Okay, that's the story in Rome. What about the situation in our church? I don't think we have any Jewish Christians here. Most, I, I think, of us are Gentile Christians. So are we exempt from this passage? Oh, it's not applied to us? No, actually, we have a lot of differences. We have lots of potential pitfalls, things that are different that could cause an occasion for us to split, but also provide us with an opportunity to bear with one another in love. These differences could be difference in station of life, differences in age. We're in a different demographic. Some are retirees, some are young families, some are single, some are married. Naturally, it's, it's easy for us just to concentrate on the ones that are like us, the Jews to focus on the Jews and the Gentiles to focus on the Gentiles. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. And that means deliberately seeking the person who's a little different than me to show them love, not because, um, not because it's natural, but because it's what Christ did for us. So those who are in a different demographic, do you tend to ignore? Or do you make an effort to build love? In relationship there can be differences in theology not major differences I pray but small things that could drive a wedge that limit love that limit the closest closeness that we may have for one another one another 
to us, especially us who are reformed, who, who like to think that we are very strong, use our knowledge of God's word to bear with the failings of the weak? Or, as it is so popular to do, to have debates and to try to, you know, trump the other person and to put them down and to show how more knowledge we have or how more right we are. Are you who are strong in that area, bearing with the failings of the weak? There's also differences in temperament, differences in personality. You know, it's normal that we love people who are like us, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's natural. God made us that way. It's also normal that we like people who we get along with. You know, it, it really is a beautiful thing that we have friendships in Christ Jesus where we can just chill out and relax and take off our shoes and let down our hair and just be real with one another in Christ. And that there's that kind of openness and love and closeness. It's, 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 it, it's understood that we're not going to be as equally close with everybody. You know, the ones that, we're, that are easy to relate to, they're easy to love. But the ones that rub us the wrong way, the, the ones that make us feel uneasy, you know, there's just not that kind of chemistry with us. We have to work at relating to them. That's when we have to bear with the failings of the weak. Are you bearing with the failings of the weak to please your neighbor, to do your neighbor good? Or do you find yourself avoiding those who are a little harder to relate to? There's also differences in the level of familiarity that we have with one another. But some of us are very, fam very familiar. We're married to each other. We're, we're families together. We've been friends for a long time. Others are less familiar. Some of you I've met today for the first time. Do we find ourselves ignoring the ones that we are a little less familiar to and, and ignoring the newcomer or ignoring the outsider in order to enjoy our familiar friends? And there's nothing wrong with enjoying our familiar friends. But are we using that as an occasion to ignore to not put in the effort to seek out those whom God has put into our life for us to love. And there's also differences in the level of spiritual maturity. We know that sitting with that one person means ministering to his or to her weakness. It means limiting myself, investing myself, giving of myself, bearing their burdens. And it's hard work and I just don't want to do that hard work. It demands taking up my liberty, sacrificing it to build that person up in love. That's bearing with the weak out of love. Are you willing to do that? Are you seeking opportunities to please your neighbor, to bear with them, to encourage them when they need it, to build him up or to build her up for her good? Or do you gravitate to the ones who don't really need so much help? My precious brothers and sisters, I'm so thankful that these, although there are reasons that we could withdraw from welcoming one another, God has given us a closeness and a love in this church. There are reasons to withdraw, that they may be reasons to ignore or to erect barriers. But I'm thankful that God has given us hearts towards one another. Nonetheless, we cannot be complacent. We cannot... Um, be content with the level of closeness that God has given us. We have to be very vigilant not to ignore the weaker brother or the weaker sister. Engage with the person I don't know very well. 
not to just be comfortable in our tribe. To greet our friends and sit with our friends is great, but not if it means that we fail to show genuine love and care for others, others who are precious, who are children of God, who are bought with the blood of Christ, and who are my very family in Christ. God has placed us in one body to be members one of another, and it is so sweet how we share a deep bond of love in this church. You know, we even greet each other, and then we sit down and we greet each other again. Are you allowing the deep, close, loving fellowship that you enjoy with some to be an occasion for ignoring others? Last week, we saw that, that we are not just to, you know, um, take hospitality as it comes, or not, not to offer it as it comes, but, but to seek out opportunities for hospitality. You remember the word to seek out was to, like, to hunt, to hunt opportunities for hospitality. And in the same way, this passage is not telling us, you know, do good to your neighbor, you know, when he happens to come across your path. Please your neighbor for his good, to build him up. Don't wait for someone else to reach out to you. You seek them out. Are you looking for opportunities to show love to those who are weak, to show kindness to the one with whom you have a small difference? Are you seeking to be a source of God's grace in their life, to strengthen them, to greet them, to accept them, and to show love to them? So that's the what that Paul is calling us to do. Welcome one another, to show grace to one another, to bear with the weaknesses of one another, to please the other person, to build them up for their good. But it's a tall order. How are we going to do this? Thankfully, Paul gives us the explanation how in verses 3 and 4. So let's look, 3 and 4. It says in verse 3, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Paul puts forward Jesus as the ultimate example of, of bearing with the failings of the weak. Consider Jesus' ministry. Who did he minister to? Who, who did he welcome? Did he welcome those who were the, the really mature ones, the ones that you know, were really sound in their theology, to the ones whose moral lives were impeccable? No. He ministered to the wretched, to the impoverished, to the ones who were downcast. He went to the houses of tax collectors. He ate with them. He took a detour through Samaria in order to welcome a socially outcast and morally compromised woman. Zacchaeus, that traitorous tax collector. But the Lord welcomed him and went to his house. So when it is all said and done, isn't this how Christ has welcomed you? Were you mature in your faith when you became a Christian? Did you live a perfect lifestyle that, that just so you know, endeared yourself to God that he just couldn't help himself but, but choose you to, to save you? Were you so worthy that Jesus couldn't resist? Like he, no, no. We have been welcomed to God as poor, miserable sinners. We had no regard for the Lord, no regard for the work of God, for the word of God, for the people of God. And yet the Lord graciously welcomed us into his kingdom. He extended his hand to you and, and to me, and he welcomed us. So that's the perfect example of the strong bearing with the weakness of the weak. 
Christ, the strongest of all, bore with the weakness of the weak. He didn't come to please himself. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And in John chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus says, I always do the things that are pleasing to the Father. He didn't please himself, but he sought to please God. And, and this is most vividly illustrated in verse 3. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And this is a quote from Psalm 69. Psalm 69 is the messianic psalm. It's a psalm that, that prophesies the suffering of Christ, the suffering of the Messiah. Psalm 69 contains a number of, of prophecies, like uh, Psalm 69, verse 21. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink, clearly pointing ahead to Christ. And, and this psalm that pictures the, the Messiah's death on the cross, Paul uses this to describe how Jesus bore with the weak. The reproaches of those who reproached you have fallen on me. In pleasing the weak, in, in other words, in pleasing God, in giving himself as a sin offering for the weak, Christ suffered reproach. All the slanders, all the insults, the attacks of God's people, Christ bore. He bore the reproach of God in our place. He was willing to do it. He was willing to divest himself and bear with the weak because he was pleasing God. He was doing it out of love for God. And so Christ is the ultimate pattern of not pleasing ourselves, but pleasing God in order to show love to others, in order to save others or to be a ministry to others. In this case, Christ suffering to save sinners. The Lord Jesus bore reproach in our place. He gave up the glory of heaven. He made himself of no account. He gave his life up for you that you may be received into the fellowship of the Father in heaven. Not pleasing himself, but pleasing God. And if Christ has done this for you and for me, surely we can please others. Welcome others for their good, not because they're going to do something in return for me, but because Christ has done something for me. Surely we can reflect the welcome that we have received from Christ as we love one another. People are not um, anonymous. People are not annoyances or intrusions into our life. The Christians in the church are ones whom Christ has welcomed. You are the ones whom Christ has welcomed. You have been brought here and I have been brought here and we have been given to one another so that we can share the love of Christ together, even though we may not see all the time the same way about everything. Even though we may have differences or, or I may be strong in an area, you may be weak, you may be strong, I may be weak, but God has put us together and called us to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us and Jesus himself is the perfect pattern. Unbelievers also need to hear Christ's welcome. How will they hear unless we bear with their weakness to share the gospel, put ourselves out to go and evangelize them, invite them over, build relationship, encourage them, share God's love with them in Christ Jesus? What does it communicate if we pass over greeting somebody maybe an unbeliever who comes into this church and we pass over greeting them 
in order to go greet our friend? What does it communicate if, if we see somebody sitting alone downstairs during the fellowship time and we pass by them to meet with our friends? That communicates not what Christ has done in divesting himself to love others. It communicates not bearing with the weak. That we are pleasing ourselves, not the welcome of Christ. So we are called to welcome like Christ has welcomed us and accept those that God has accepted. Our fellow Christian in the church is the one whom Christ has welcomed and redeemed with his own blood. And if Christ has put his love on that precious brother and sister, who am I to say that that person is unworthy of my affection and consideration? Who am I to dismiss them or to ignore them or overlook them? Just as Christ bore reproach and divested himself to love me, to welcome me, I am to please not myself, but my brother for his good, to welcome him and show affection towards him in Christ. And praise God, we are doing this. Praise God, I see this kind of love going on in the, in the church. But may we continue to do so more and more. Part three. Now that Paul's addressed the what we need to do and the how we are to do it, he turns his attention to address the why. Why should we do this? It seems like a lot of work. Why, why should we do this? And to that he says in verse five and seven, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The explanation that Paul gives, why, is ultimately for the glory of God. But notice that 5, 6, and 7, especially 5 and 6, forms a prayer. He, he says, may the God of endurance. He, he's praying that God may accomplish this in the Roman church. And that's an important point to mention. It's an important realization. We cannot think that living in harmony and welcoming each other and bearing with the weak, okay, okay, I can do that. I can do that. I can do it on my own strength. We, we don't welcome each other and, and show kindness to each other because we're such great humanitarians that we have such a broad heart that we can welcome everybody. No, no, we need the strength of God to love and welcome as he calls us. So we need to ask his help in prayer. That's what Paul does. May the Lord grant you harmony, to live in harmony with one another. When did you last pray that, that God would help you to show love and concern for others? especially that one person who I really have a hard time loving, when did you last pray that God would make you a loving, kind, welcoming friend to that person? When did you last pray, Lord, help me to please others for their good, not to please myself? When did you pray for the harmony and the unity of the church community at Providence? I trust many of you are because I see God answering that prayer. But let's continue to ask the Lord's mercy to grant us to live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. And ultimately, Paul's object is not just so that, you know, the wheels turn smoothly. He's not oiling the wheels just so that the church, you know, functions properly in Rome and things go on nicely and everyone gets along. His objective is not like that. His objective is much, much greater. That as the believers welcome each other and bear with the weak, 
God may be glorified. Verse 7, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. As Christians welcome one another, as they show love and, and please others, not themselves, it shows that God is in their midst, that their community is not a human community because no community that can have that kind of affiliation by its own power through human resource. You know, even the most loving family, even the most closely knit club or affiliation is, is still often on the basis of mutual benefit. I welcome you, you welcome me, we have no issues, I benefit you, you benefit me, we get along. As soon as you're not benefiting me or I'm not benefiting you, then maybe we'll part ways. So when people who naturally have no reason to love each other come together and bear with one another's weaknesses and show not love for themselves, but love for the other, that demonstrates the community is a heaven community. It's a heavenly community, one that marks the love of God among them. Only God could produce and sustain such a community. And so it brings praise and glory and honor to God. And that's Paul's vision for the Roman church. And that's Paul's vision for the Ephesian church. He says the same thing, Ephesians 3.10, talking about the unity between Gentiles and Jews, that through the church, this group of different people, but made one in Christ, the manifold wisdom of God, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The church is to be the manifestation, the embodiment of God's wisdom. And so shouldn't our welcome to one another reflect the welcome that we have received from God? Think about how, how has God welcomed us? He's not like uh, an austere king, you know, way, way high up on a throne, welcoming people into his presence. You know, I am Oz, great and terrible. He's not like that. Think about the parable of the prodigal son, this son who had squandered the father's wealth. When the father saw him a long way off, he took off his outer garments and ran to this son and embraced the son and clothed the son and put a ring on the son and restored the son with all the privileges, again, as a son. That is how God has welcomed us in Christ. We have been welcomed as his blood-bought children with grace and with peace in Christ Jesus. He has welcomed us through the shameful death of Christ on the cross. Jesus redeemed you and me from the empty way of life that we once lived. He welcomed us through his precious blood, cleansed our sins, made us God's child, so that as we are brought together in the love of God in the church, we can testify to that love and we can be an embodiment and display that love as we love one another. And I have to say it again, praise the Lord that this is the attitude I see in this body. I see it. I know many of you see it. There is joy. We greet one another. We welcome one another. We spend time in, our, in one another's homes. Uh, we, we go downstairs. We eat food and drink coffee and gain weight and, and enjoy sugary snacks. And, and we do it out of love for God and love for one another. And it's wonderful. But may I challenge you? Don't, don't be complacent. Don't let the circle of love become a barrier 
to those who are on the outside. Be on the lookout. Look around for those who are new, for those who are on the outside, for those who are struggling, for those who are, who are weak, who need to be built up for their good. Be on the lookout for those who are not your usual group of friends and, and reach out to them in love. Consider prayerfully, how can I put this command into action? How can I welcome the body of Christ? How can I communicate love better in the body of Christ? How can I better seek to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please myself, but to please others for their good? Would you challenge yourself with those questions? And then one final thing. Maybe you've sat through these two sermons, last week on hospitality, this week on welcoming, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, Joshua talked a lot about how hospitable this church is, and he talked a lot about how welcoming it is, but no one's invited me over. No one's really welcomed me. If for whatever reason, we as a congregation have failed to show gospel love to you, please, please forgive us. And if we have neglected to extend a warm, loving welcome to you, please bear with our weakness. If you have felt alienated or unwelcomed or unloved, forgive us. We have not arrived yet. As a congregation, let's bear with one another. Welcome one another. My brothers and my sisters, show love. Oh, we have received such wonderful love in Christ Jesus. We have been brought into such a precious community in the kingdom of God. And this local body is such a precious manifestation of Christ's body. Give yourself to this body. We belong to one another in Christ. Learn to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. O oh, gracious, most merciful God, O oh God, thank you that you have welcomed us. Christ has borne our reproach. Lord, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. Lord, naturally we are very self-centered. Naturally we love those who love us. We struggle to love those who are harder to love. Lord, we gravitate towards the ones we have affection for, or the ones that we have familiarity with. It's easy for us to ignore or overlook newcomers, the ones who are outside of our sphere, the ones, Lord, that are harder to bear with, the ones who have differences. But Lord, you have marvelously lavished your love upon us in Christ Jesus. And you have called us to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Oh God, thank you that you have given us a measure of love in this church. But I'll, I pray, oh God, that you may help each one to examine our, ourselves and examine our hearts and how we can better show the love of Christ to the people you've put into our lives, Lord, especially if, within this body. Lord, may as we love one another and as we build a community of love, Lord, may, as you build up this community, may your love and your glory in the gospel, in Christ, be put on display to the glory of your name. 
We pray and ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.